Uh, what a wonderful, wonderful Saturday morning. Just a little housekeeping note again. On September the 26th, which is coming up three Saturdays from now, I believe. Let me count them. One, two, three. Yeah. On the third Saturday from today, we will not be meeting at this time as I am going to be doing much of the material I'm doing today on step two. And I'm going to be doing that for the Los Angeles intergroup. And that is going to be a Zoom meeting that is going to go out all over. Uh, for information on how to access that meeting, go to Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous and scroll down and you will see how to get into that meeting. And they've asked for no postings on Facebook or anything like that because we had an electronic intruder when John Kay did his special thing for the LA intergroup and we want to avoid that in the future. So three Saturdays from now, we are not going to be meeting at this time. I'm going to be doing something very similar to what we're doing today for the LA intergroup. We have been talking for a long time through the doctor's opinion, through Bill's story, except for the last part of it. We have been talking all during there is a solution and more about alcoholism, about step number one. And I'm gonna show off now because I know how to say, say step one in Italian. It's Paso Prima. See, I did a thing for the group in Rimini, Italy, and I kept hearing them say this. So now I know how to say it. So I had to show off for all of you. It's Paso Prima is step one. But anyway, that aside, we're going to be talking today about one of the two most underutilized steps in the program of Overeaters Anonymous. If you take a look at people who relapse or you take a look at people who struggle very mightily, more often than not, you are going to see two culprits that are going to present themselves. The first culprit is step number two. They do not have a working relationship with the God of their understanding, that they, they don't trust that God, they don't really believe in that God, and they feel like that God has let them down too much in the past for that God to be part of their daily life. And we're going to be talking about that today, and we're going to be talking about that throughout this chapter. And the other culprit is usually step 10. Step 10 is another big culprit when it comes to people continually stepping on that struggle bus, stepping aboard that struggle bus that so many people step on and off of during their career here in OA before they finally arrive at recovery. We agnostics, page 44. Now let's take some time to look at that. Why does it say we agnostics? He could have said to the agnostic. He could have said, you agnostics. He could have said a lot of different things like to the agnostic. He wanted to put in there, we agnostics, because I'm gonna say today that in any area of life, there is agnosticism that will rear its ugly head. What do I mean by that? There are six, there are 95, wow, 
There are 95 of you on the line today, and I bet many of you are church or synagogue or mosque or whatever it is going people that have a, a faith in God, but yet there is agnosticism in certain pockets of our life. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. An atheist is a person who strongly believes there is no God. There is no God. And one of the more famous uh, circuit speakers in OA uh, who he's all over the place. He is an avowed atheist. Now, there are also people here who believe very strongly in God, and they are believers. But an atheist is a person who believes that there is no God, and an agnostic, ag means without, gnostic means knowledge. Agnostic means without knowledge. So an atheist believes there is no God, a believer believes that there is a God, and an agnostic is a person who doesn't have enough knowledge, so they're not quite sure either way. Can all of them recover in OA? You bet they can. Even the atheist has a place in our program because it is not required of us to believe in a religious supreme deity. My first higher power was Lake Michigan. If you've ever seen it, it's huge and it's wonderful and it's powerful. And if you've ever seen it in the wintertime, when those waves come up and beat the daylights out of the shore, you know that it has fury and wrath, but it's always beautiful and it's always there. It's just an amazing, amazing thing to behold, especially at sunrise, when that sun comes up and it just starts dancing off the water, it's something to behold. And that's one of the things about growing up in Chicago that I loved the most was always Lake Michigan. An agnostic is not sure, an atheist believes there is no God. But as long as you're willing to believe that there's a power greater than yourself, you can recover. So all that is required, and we're going to go into more detail on that when we get to the appropriate page, which is going to be uh, at 47. But the bottom line is, and we're not going to get there today, but the bottom line is, and it says we agnostics, because maybe I believe that there's a God. Maybe I believe that the splitting of the Red Sea or the, the for many Christians, the resurrection, or I believe the burning bush. These are beautiful miracles that only God could have brought about, right? But I have agnosticism. In other words, I am an agnostic when it may come to my food or my money or my, my relationship life, my romantic life. Maybe I'm not quite sure God's going to help me in those areas. Or maybe I, have, I, have a, I happen to have a daughter that does not speak to me. My daughter lives in Brooklyn, New York, in Crown Point or Crown Heights, Crown Heights in Brooklyn. And she lives there and she's got her family there, but I am not included in anything. And that's a very hurtful kind of situation. And when I get down about it, and when I get hurt about it, I have to remember God's got the whole situation. So many of us believe in God, but we have agnosticism when it may come to our drug use, our kids, our drinking, our eating, our finances. 
all the things we hold closest to us are areas where it is hardest to bring the power of God into that and to conceptualize that God is not just powerful, but God is personal and God is perfectly powerful. So there's a lot of peas that I threw at you, but these are the things that most people fall into. I am either going to believe that God is or he isn't. God either is or he is not. And if he is, that means that on a daily basis, he does concern himself with what I eat. He does concern himself about the fact that I wish in certain areas my life was different. I wish my daughter would include me in her life and speak to me and love me because all I really want to be is her dad. I wish many, many things, but one of the things I need to remember is God is here and all is well. So the title of the chapter, We Agnostics, indicates that Bill and God are aware that even though you may be a strong believer in the, the fact that there is a God, you may have certain pockets of agnosticism when it comes to the areas of your life that you hold dearest and that we become convinced by culture. We become convinced by upbringing, especially today, that you need to do something about this. You need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You need to get a handle on this. You're a big girl now. You should be able to push yourself away from the table. You're a big boy now. You should be able to find a wife. You should be able, and this is the culture that we have. The culture that we have is that you are in control of your destiny, and then you come here and OA, or you come to AA or Al-Anon, or you come to whatever, love it, uh, SLAA, or you come in through uh, NA, or whatever it is you come in through. And you find out that one of our mantras is, no, you can't. So we're sort of counterintuitive. We're going to go counter to what these people have been telling you since you were a child. No, you can't push yourself away from the table. You have an illness. No, you shouldn't be able to control what your child does or your spouse does. That's up to God. You can only do what you can do. So without turning this into an Al-Anon meeting, without turning it into a Naranon meeting or whatever, let's take a look again, just very briefly, at the title of the chapter. It's very, very important because the title of the chapter, We Agnostics, also means that as I hold on to agnosticism in certain areas of my life, my sponsor will ask me, <clears throat> hold on one second. My sponsor will ask me <clears throat> in certain aspects of my life, are you being agnostic here or are you bringing God into the equation? And in certain situations, 
I will become agnostic because I'm trying to go back to old tapes of what am I going to do? How am I going to manipulate this situation so that I get the results that I want? And my, my sponsor will point out to me regularly, no, that's not your <clears throat> no, that's not your job. Sorry, it's still pretty hot here. This uh, We're getting one last blast of summer. And then after this weekend, I got a feeling it's pretty much over. But it's plenty hot out there today. It's already 106 and it's only 10.15 in the morning here. But anyway, <clears throat> we agnostics. Does that mean I'm agnostic about... Other things, no. So it's a mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. So try not to think in black and white here. Try not to think that either I am an agnostic or I'm not an agnostic. It's usually going to be a mixed bag. It's going to be, no, I'm not agnostic when it comes to Corona. I know that eventually we're going to find a way to return to normal. I am not an agnostic when it comes to, you know, different world events or world situations, but I can be very agnostic the more personal the issue is to me. So I hope I covered that. If not, you know, we'll get to it in the questions and the answers, but this is very important. So it says we agnostics, not the agnostics, not you agnostics, not those agnostics, we agnostics. Very important. Page 44. In the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. What did you learn of alcoholism? Gosh, I hope you learned that it is an allergy of the body and a twist of the mind. That as you go through your life, you wake up in the morning, and you may feel frustrated, or you may feel angry or scared, or you may feel like the world is just not sticking to your script. As you go to those situations, and you will have them inevitably, you have one of two choices before you. The first choice to soothe that feeling is food. And that works beautiful. Food works. The other choice is work the steps to affect the spiritual awakening. The food has death-defying, debilitating, horrific consequences. And the steps, although they require effort, have miracles and they have wonderment and they have the greatest joy in life, which is a relationship not only with a higher power, but a relationship with God's children, meaning you, God's with skin. And every one of you is my God with skin. Every one of you is a special messenger of your pain, your hell, and hopefully your recovery. So every one of us is a messenger. In the preceding chapters, you have learned something of alcoholism. We hope we have made clear the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. There are people, maybe some of them on the line today, I, I couldn't tell you, I don't know, but there are people who get in trouble with food. There are people who get in trouble with alcohol, drugs. They, they use these substances. Many of you have heard me talk about my friend, Corey. I have a friend of mine, his name is Corwin. He lives in Chicago. He's a, 
he's an accountant. And he and I could go to a buffet and he could out eat me. He he's ne probably never weighed more than 170, 175 in his entire life. Never, 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 never. And he can out eat me in the uh, buffet. However, today's Saturday, I will be eating at convenience stores on the way home from the buffet because I've triggered the physical allergy. And so I'm going to eat lunch today. I'm going to eat dinner today. And Lord knows if I went to a buffet today, what the heck else I was going to eat today. Because once the cat's out of the bag, well, then it's every man for himself. And I'm going to eat anything and everything that's not nailed down because I've triggered the allergy. Here's the difference. He has eaten an enormous amount of food at the buffet. It is now Saturday morning. He won't even think about eating. If the, the thought will not cross his mind until Monday. He will not eat anything the rest of today. He will not eat anything tomorrow. He'll have some coffee. He may have some water. He may have a bottle of soda pop, whatever that may be. He won't even think about eating until Monday or Monday night at the earliest because he's filled up on the buffet. So the difference between the non-compulsive the non overeater and the compulsive overeater is, again, the physical allergy and the twist of the mind. Food does not do for him what it does for me. And what does it do for me? We all know what it does to me. I could, you know, I could spend you know, 25 million years telling you what the food did to me, and we all have our stories. But what the food does for us who are compulsive overeaters is food gives me and you who are like me, it gives me an instant sense of ease and comfort that comes instantly. It's just instant. And who doesn't like instant results? Who doesn't like instant coffee? Not coffee. Instant. Why did I say coffee? Who doesn't like instant results? Because in my mind, instant coffee, I guess. I don't know. I'm conditioned. But anyway, <clears throat> so we love instant results. And the steps may take a little longer, but the rewards are deeper and richer than they can be by eating the food. If when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, that is because of the twist of the mind and that restless irritability, that discontent, anger, fear, frustration, jealousy, uh, all these various emotions, when they come up, I didn't say if they come up, I said when they come up, they will demand resolution. So you cannot quit entirely because you have a brain that is wired to drive you into the food in search of relief from the intenable, unrelenting, searing, debilitating pain of not eating and not eating is so uncomfortable for us that we cannot take it anymore. And eating becomes a step up from where we are. That's why we've been eating all of our lives. Because the pain of not eating is too much for us to bear. And the brain that we've been born with drives us into the food in search of relief from that pain. And we have the mental blank spot. 
And the mental blank spot means that I cannot remember the consequences of the eating. I cannot remember breaking furniture. I cannot remember being emasculated by this disease. I cannot remember the intense loneliness of not going on my first date with a girl until I was 35 years old. I will not remember that I was the fattest kid in the school. And I will not remember getting stuck in cars. And I will not remember not being able to go to the movies because I couldn't fit in the seat. And I will not remember not being able to eat in a restaurant booth because I couldn't fit in one. Those memories will not come to my consciousness because of the mental blank spot. Now let's continue. Or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. Why is it that Bill was pounding on the bar, wondering how it happened, but I might as well get good and drunk this time, and I did. <clears throat> because of <clears throat> the physical allergy. And what is that physical allergy? That word allergy means an adverse, abnormal reaction to a food, beverage, or substance. Adverse means it's harmful, and abnormal means most people do not react the way I do. If diabetes was a normal condition of humanity, it would not be considered an illness. But because only a certain sect of people have diabetes, or only a certain sect of people have whatever, it is considered, you are considered to have a disease. And what does disease mean? It means you are separated from the normal. You are somehow separated from the norm. That's what it means. There's nothing nefarious about it. There's nothing horrible. And here's the most important thing for me to remember about the disease concept. I didn't cause this. I can't cure this. I can't control this. This did not happen because of my mother. This did not happen because of my father. This did not happen because of my environment. This is something biological. And we come into OA and we want to blame somebody for the fact that we eat the way we eat. Normally, it's going to be mom and dad or mom or dad. Normally, it's going to be the people closest to us. My mother was mentally ill. My mother had three very distinct personalities. And growing up with her was not easy. My mother could be a three-year-old. My mother could be a screaming, raving lunatic, very embarrassing, never knew what she was going to say, what was going to come out of her mouth. She was absolutely crazy in that personality, or she could be a pretty together person. So she had three distinct personalities, and she could just breathe in air, and just you would see a change come over her. And that change would not just be a physical change, it was a personality change. Three-year-old, screaming, raving lunatic, or a pretty together person. And you never, is that why I'm a compulsive overeater? No. 
No, I am because I am. My favorite title of any story in the back of the big book of AA is because I'm an alcoholic. That's why I am a compulsive overeater, because I am a compulsive overeater. Some of you had parents that ignored you. Some of you had parents that smothered you with love. Some of you had parents that were pretty normal. And you are all here this morning as compulsive overeaters, whether you lived on Sunnybrook Farm or you lived on the voyage of the damned. It doesn't seem to make a difference. We come from Yale and we come from jail. We come from Park Avenue and we come from a park bench. It doesn't seem to matter whether we're black or white or Jew or Gentile or gay or straight. It doesn't matter whether we're from Dublin, Ireland or Dublin, Georgia. It doesn't matter whether we're from Chicago, Illinois or East Chicago, Indiana. It doesn't seem to matter. We are all bound together as compulsive overeaters with no regard for anything other than those factors, the allergy of the body and the twist of the mind. I know of a person, I don't know if she's on the line here today because I can't, I don't have the time or the, I have to think about what I'm saying. So I can, people say to me sometimes, did you see that I was here? I, I can't really scroll through here. But anyway, I know somebody who was raised in Chicago. She was raised by a man who's in Wikipedia. He's so wealthy. He was so powerful. He was such a power driver. He is in Wikipedia. That's how wealthy, that's how successful this man is. And this was his daughter. And she grew up in opulence, in opulence. And she's here this morning. Or, or she may not be here this morning. I don't know. I can't look through her. She is a compulsive overeater. She's an anorexic bulimic. She's gutter. She's back alley. She's a dumpster diving compulsive overeater to the max. She is sub-basement. She is sub-basement compulsive overeater. You wouldn't know what to look at her. Now, I also know of people who were raised in adjunct poverty. They were raised in poverty to the point where they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. And they're here too. They're here too. I know this is a little detailed, but this is how we're going to go through this chapter. And you're going to have to trust me. This chapter is very vital to go through with a fine tooth comb. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Let's put our finger in the page right there on page 44, and let's go to the previous page, page 43. And then let's look at the last paragraph on page 43. It says, once more, now I have a, another person, I don't know if she's here with us, she's a fourth grade teacher and she teaches up in Colorado. And she taught me that, she taught me a lot of things, some of which I cannot speak of here, but she taught me that the repetition of this, of information is called spiraling the information. And many times during the book, the book talks about this, so it must be very important. But let's just take a look at page 43. 
bottom of the page, once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. Now, I could go through here and I could cite you chapter and verse of other places where this is, but let's just take the context for what it is. If you are going to recover from this disease and you are fighting this idea of God, you're not going to win. That's so vital, I'm going to say it again. And if I am coming down with a cold, I do fully intend on jumping out the window because I do not want to be sick right now. But anyway, if you think you're going to beat this on your own, you are not going to beat this on your own. You never have beat this on your own. You never will beat this on your own. Your recovery, your respite from this disease must come from a higher power. And unless you absorb that and transmit that to others, you are not going to recover. It's not going to happen. You have a disease which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Now, Bill scribed the book, okay? He wrote spiritual experience. What's the difference between a spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening? I'll explain. A spiritual experience is sudden and profound, like what Bill Wilson had. Bill was in the town's hospital, and God came to him suddenly, bang. He was in the room on the 15th of December, 1934, and a white light came into the room, and he felt the presence of God, and he never found it necessary to ever drink again throughout his life. He died on January the 24th, 1971. So from 1934, 15th of December, 34, to 1971, he stayed out of liquor. Now, he did a lot of other crazy things, which we won't get into this morning. But what he did was he had a vital spiritual experience. I never had that. Most of you have never had that either. God comes to me gradually, and I had a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. So, yes, a spiritual experience is necessary, but you can know that a spiritual awakening will also work. Now, to one who feels he is an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. But to continue as he is means disaster, especially if he is an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. Now, I want to talk to you for a minute here about something that's very, very vital to our recovery. You know, I get these calls all the time. Many of you get them, too. Those of you who are sponsoring, I know for sure get these calls. 
if there's a God, how can there be a Holocaust? If there's a God, how could there be war? If there's a God, how could there be riots in the streets? If on and on and on and on. And I'll give you the answer. Don't tell anybody I told you this. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why certain people kill other people. I have no idea. But here's what I believe. Maybe you believe something different. You hang on to whatever it is works for you as long as you're in recovery. I believe that God did not put us on this earth as automatrons or as robots. He gave us choices. And some people use those choices to do terrible, stupid things. And some people use those choices to do wonderful things. There is strife in the world. There is difficulty in the world. But here is what I'm going to remind you of. And we're going to remind you of this numerous times. You got to let it go. <clears throat> is this the hill you want to die on? Because there was a Holocaust or because pe my people, my Jewish people have been exterminated many times, not exterminated, but persecuted many times. You can only be exterminated once. We've been persecuted and murdered and forced into conversions over thousands of years, many times in many different countries. Because the, because the British persecuted the Irish or because the American Native American was persecuted by the whites that came to this country. Is that the hill you want to die on? Because that's your choice. That's the choice that we are making. Yes, I could give up my recovery because Hitler killed six million of my people. I could take that and I could piss my recovery down the street, down the sewer. But I'm not letting that son of a bitch kill one more Jew. I'm not letting him kill one more Jew. And it's not going to be me. What are the things we love to do more than we love to breathe? We love to lie. We love to assign blame. We love to keep score in our relationships and we fight battles that just don't exist. At some point in my life, I am going to be called upon that in the, in the face of having a daughter that does not speak to me, in the face of getting thrown out like garbage when my wife divorced me, in the face of the difficulty I find working when I'm 66 years old and I'd rather be retired, in the face of living alone when I'd rather be living with someone else, in the face of fill in the blank, fill in the blank, in the face of these things, I am going to continue to believe that when I walk to God, he runs to me. That when I walk to God, he showers me with a recovery. That he is there for me. And I'm going to say this now, and I'm going to say this repeatedly during this chapter. There are two things I need to know about God, and only two. And being that it is Saturday morning, Sabbath, there are rabbis that are philosophizing as we speak about who God is and who God is not. There are poets and musicians and authors. There are 
priests and ministers and there are deacons and lay people and there are Christians and Muslims and there are Buddhists and there are people of all manner of, of, of life philosophizing now about who God is and who God is not. There are two things I need to know about God. There is one and it's not me. I don't need to know why there was a war or a riot or why people do crazy things. I don't need to know. It's not important. Why will never get me to first base? My friend Sherry is dead. Sherry B, Chicago, OA. A psychologist's psychologist with more degrees than a thermometer, caring, wonderful human being. If I had had a brain working, I would have married her. A caring, loving woman. She loved blues music and the color purple above anything else in life. She would go into neighborhoods I wouldn't walk around in during the day to listen to a blues guy playing in any neighborhood in Chicago, she didn't care. If it was blues music, she was there. And the color purple, she had a heart of gold. She would have given you the skin off of her back, not just the shirt, the skin. And she died at 400 pounds in her condo alone because she couldn't put the food down, wouldn't put the food down until she did the forensic analysis of the Holocaust and why we eat the way we eat. Her father was a Holocaust survivor and she wouldn't put the food down and she held God accountable for these things, the Holocaust and all these other things and she held God accountable and she's dead. Now we're all gonna die. We're all gonna, we're all gonna go the way of all things. But one of the things that I know is when I was a little boy, most of the people that my father knew, not all, most of the people that my father knew were Holocaust survivors like Sherry's father, although he, they didn't know each other. I met Sherry in OA. She's dead now. They would grab my face and they would kiss me and they would tell me how cute I was and they would say, live until you die. Live until you die means that I embrace whatever life is left and that I come to peace with the fact that there are things in this world that I find reprehensible and through that jungle of events, I am called upon to believe that there is a God and that it's not me. All that I'm required to believe is that there is a power in this universe greater than I. Because if I do not embrace that, I will not recover from this disease. I'm gonna say that again. If I do not embrace the presence of a power greater than myself, I will not recover from this disease. 
I don't want to keep saying it, but I need to keep reminding you that without this concept, without this idea that there is a God, recovery becomes impossible. And all that is required is not a knowledge of a religious deity. All that's required is the belief or the willingness to believe. I don't even have to believe. I just have to be willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself. I can call it God. I can call it group of drunks. I can call it dog for those who are dyslexic. I can call it whatever I want to call it. But there has to be, it's a requirement, it's not an option. There has to be a feeling in my heart that in this world or above this world, there is a power that can help me in those times when things are not going my way or they are going my way. And I want chips ahoy more than I want recovery. There has to be a way for me to come to peace with this idea that I need someone to turn to when I'm, when I'm feeling scared, when I'm feeling angry, when I'm feeling like chips ahoy or Charleston chew or chocolate-covered cherries at the Walgreens on State Parkway in Chicago seem to be my only option. And if I do not have that deity, if I do not have that power greater than myself to turn to, and how do I turn to that deity? By working the steps, usually 10. You're not on step 10 yet? Go do the next right thing. Take the next indicated action. Because faith without works is dead. If I'm going to sit in the synagogue and just pray and pray and pray and pray, I'm not going to recover. There's nothing wrong with going to the synagogue to pray. That's why they're there. That, that's why they build them. But if I'm just going to limit my faith to prayer, I am not going to recover because I do not get this program by, by absorbing spiritual information. I get this program by transmitting spiritual information. Let's continue. To be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. Now let's take a look at the gravity of that sentence. To be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. You mean to tell me that I am so mad at God and there isn't one of you, there's 118 of you on the line right now. There isn't one of you that hasn't looked up to the sky with tears in your eyes and a heavy feeling in your heart that said, why my mom? Why my dad? Why my child? Why my sister, my brother? Why my baby? Why me? Are you so mad at God? Are you so belligerent in your dis disdain of this God, that you're willing to die over it. In other words, is this the hill you are willing to die on? This is not 
This is not a dress rehearsal. This is life. This is it. When you're gone, you're gone. You're out. Certain vestiges of your life will, will remain. What you leave behind, maybe materially, will go the way of all things. But what you leave behind in how many people that you've helped will never go away. What you leave behind will live forever. But that sentence, to be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. That is because the book, Through God, Through Bill, understood how angry we were, angry we are at God. We have been tantruming with a knife and a fork. We have been throwing a temper tantrum with a knife and a fork for decades against this God. And until God wakes up and gets it and does what I want him to do, because after all, if you just let me win the damn mega millions lottery, I'll give some of that money to OA and I'll help a lot of people, but I'll be a millionaire. Come on, God, get, you're going to let somebody win. Why not me? It doesn't work that way doesn't work that way. I can't sit and pray for myself. So I said, well, I'll help this one and I'll, doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. I don't know why, but it just doesn't. It's time to let it go and to stop fighting battles that just don't exist. We're fighting God. We're not gonna win. We've not won yet. We're not going to win. We're not going to. To be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. Are you kidding me? You mean we'd rather die? Yeah, some of us would. Some of us would rather die then admit to somebody that we believe in God. Because people who believe in God, aren't they sheep? Aren't they weak? Aren't they spineless? Aren't they stupid? Right? I mean, after all, if you believe in God, you must be weak and stupid and, and idiotic and, and all these other things, right? No. Because the people who wrote this book, these people that who were giants like Clancy Emerson, who just died, and people like Bill and Bob, they believed in God. Now, Jimmy Burwell was an atheist, and he was one of the earliest members of AA. And he power drove this idea of God as you understand God. Jimmy was an atheist, and his friend was Fitz Mayo, who was one of the giants on whose shoulders we walk today. But Burwell being an atheist, Laurie C. being an atheist, and he wouldn't mind me saying that to you. But these people are atheists, but they believed that there was a power, but Laurie's still alive. They, be, they believe, I won't say believed, I'll say believe. They believe that there is a power greater than themselves. Now, maybe it's not the religious deity that you believe in. Maybe it is. I couldn't tell you. I don't. 
But all that's required here is a willingness to believe that there is a power indeed greater than you. That's all that's required here. Page 44. But it isn't so, but it isn't so difficult. About half our original fellowship were of exactly that type. Bill Wilson didn't just jump out of a cake and say, I believe in God. Ebby worked on him, and it's recounted in Bill's story. And he says, what about, your, what about your own conception of God? And Bill said, I can live with that. I can live with that. We're going to talk a lot more in the future about choosing a conception of God that is palatable and workable for you. And this is one of the grave mistakes that sponsors make in step two. We work endlessly and tirelessly on food plans. Food, 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 food. And when it comes to step two, we don't help our sponsees. It takes 10 minutes to develop a series of characteristics that we are willing to believe in. And we don't remind them enough that any relationship, I don't care if it's a romantic relationship, I don't care if it's a friend relationship, I don't care if it's a relationship between anybody and anything. It has to be worked at. Faith in God is not a destination, it is a process, it is a journey. And the God of my understanding today is not the God of my understanding 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 66 years ago. The God of my understanding today is a deeper and richer faith. The Yiddish word of the day is amuna. What does amuna mean in Yiddish? It means faith. It also means it in Hebrew but I don't really speak Hebrew, but amuna means faith. I have faith that there's a power greater than myself that I choose to call God. You can call it anything you want. Bugs Bunny, whatever you want. Whatever blows your hair back. That there is a power greater than myself. And without that power, I will not recover. And that's the bottom line. So let that sink in. But as sponsors, we do not spend enough effort. I didn't say time. I said effort. Convincing our sponsees that this is true and helping them find a God that they are willing to believe in. And how do you do that? You have to work at it. What's the first thing people say to me every day? I don't believe God cares about me. Okay, first characteristic. God who cares about me. I don't believe God won't abandon me. God that won't abandon me. I don't know that God really cares about my food. God that cares about my food. I dated a girl and she had a list of the things that she was really looking for in a spouse, in a boyfriend kind of thing. And it was interesting. I checked a lot of the boxes for sure. It didn't work out. It didn't work out. Okay. But the bottom line is 
is that we can do the same thing with God. What is it that you want in a God? And those are the things you can have because it is God as you understand God. It is not subject to my approval. It is not subject to your, the religion of your childhood. It is not subject to anyone's editorial powers. It is your God. It is personal to you. And as sponsors, I'm calling upon each and every one of you to review with your, with your uh, sponsees, with, to review with your protégés, whatever you call them, your, your pigeons, your protégés, your babies, to review with them, here are the characteristics that you say you want in a God now. Now, 10 years ago, I was a married man. I had a very different life than I have today. 20 years ago, I was, a, I was another type. I was living in Oregon at that time, and we had a booming business, and everything was great. 30 years ago, I was a single man. 40 years ago, I was an extremely obese man. 50 years ago, I was a very young man. 60 years ago, I was six years old. I was in first grade, Miss Armstrong. I had Miss Armstrong for first grade. I was, a, I was a, um, a student in her class. And what she used to do is if you picked your nose, she would stamp a pig on your hand. If you talked, she would stamp a parrot on your hand. If you, whatever it was you did, whatever transgression you had, she had a stamp and your mother would see pig or parrot or uh, what was the, I, there were, the only ones I really remember are pig and parrot, but there were other ones that she had too. And um, if, if your mom saw that you came home with a stamp on your hand, she knew you were talking or she knew you were picking your nose or she knew something, something was wrong and that you needed to talk to. And that's when I got called by my middle name, Harlan Charles Grabowski, Harlan Charles why do you have a parrot on your hand? Who were you talking to? And that meant problems. Whenever I got called by my full name, that meant, uh-oh, either a rabbi had called the house, a teacher had called the house, something was wrong. I did something I shouldn't have done. But anyway, getting back to the sponsor sponsee, we need to put forth that effort to give new people a vision of God that is uniquely theirs, that is personal to them, that they can live with. And we need to convince them that without a workable God, they will not recover. It's not going to happen. Let's continue. At first, some of us try to avoid the issue. We just figured if we lose weight, we can sweep the God thing under the rug. Hoping against hope, we were not true alcoholics. I didn't hope against hope that I wasn't a compulsive overeater, but I hoped against hope that I didn't have to address this God thing. My mom died when I was 22. My dad died when I was 24. So by the time I came in at 24 years of age, they were dead. And my dad had a very hostile relationship with God could not understand why God allowed his entire family to be obliterated off the face of the earth in violence. And what was their crime? 
they were obliterated off the face of the earth. And he was pissed off about it. And we would walk to the synagogue and he would go, poo, he'd spit on the floor. And, and he was mad as hell, but he knew he had to go into the synagogue. And once he got in there, he was okay. He'd kind of simmer down a little bit. But when he was walking to and from that synagogue, he was like a hot water pipe that had just burst. He was mad as hell. He was mad as hell. Because why us? Why us? He was one survivor out of an extended family of 40 people, ages six weeks old to 75 years of age, and they were obliterated off the face of the earth. And I'm growing up in this. I had some issues too. Even though it didn't happen to me, even though I wasn't there, I was inculcated with this craziness. But it wasn't crazy to him. It wasn't crazy to him. To him, it just made sense. And then I came in here and I had to come to grips with this fact that unless I get a relationship with a God, I will not recover from this disease. Did I say that enough times? I'm going to say it again. Unless I have a relationship with a power greater than myself, I am not going to recover. And I must work at that relationship every day of my life because I'm not going to get this program absorbing spiritual information. I'm going to get this program transmitting spiritual information. Page 44. Perhaps it is going, oh wait, I, but after a while we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual life, basis of life, dash or else. So we're repeating things. The book is repeating things. I'm repeating things. Why? Because they're vital to survival. That without these concepts, there is no program and without program, you'll die in the food. You are biologically predetermined to eat yourself or starve yourself to death. Perhaps it is going to be that way with you, but cheer up. Something like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostics. Our experience shows that you need not be disconcerted. Now, we're going to stop here today. Normally, I go till 11.15. I'm going to cut that short today. And the reason I'm going to cut it short is I want to extend Q&A. Last week, we left questions on the table because I can only talk for so long. We left 